It's Girls Gone Wild podcast. This is episode 308. This week we have Cassie Joy from Fed and Fit. She's back on the show. She is just a light, isn't she? She is a light in this world. She has a new book out. It's called Cook Once, Eat All Week. So we talk about her new book, her new baby, and all the fun things that we want to get into because it's a Joy and Claire and Cassie episode. So without further ado, here is Cassie Joy. Okay. Oh, I'm still laughing at you. You're just like, I had wine and now I'm on to tea. Like usually it's kind of like tea <laughs> than wine. <laughs> well, I figured I would probably, I'd break the cycle right when I was turning on Skype. <laughs> so well, I made myself a tea. <laughs> well, it's so funny because like normally if you, you know, especially when, when I'm post- podcasting, sometimes I'm like, oh, I just want a glass of wine, but I don't want to be too loopy when I'm recording. So maybe I'll just uh-huh. switch to tea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That was exactly the thought process. Uh, so I'm so glad you're back with us. We are so excited to talk to you. It's been forever, but it feels like yesterday at the same time because we see you on social media every day. So we're like BFFs, right? Isn't that yeah. how it works? I think that's how it works. Well, I was about to say, if people do want to go back and listen to our first episode with you, it was episode 177, which was like November, end of November 2016. So yeah, it's been over two years. Oh my gosh. I was furiously trying to do math in my brain. I'm really glad you gave the answer away. <laughs> You're like, how long ago is that? What month is it? <laughs> what year are we in right now? I have no idea. I was writing a sticky note on a freezer meal I threw in the deep freeze the other day. And I l- looked at my husband I, in all genuine. I was like, what year is it? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I like back in probably December at one point, Brandon was like, we were talking, we were talking about, you know, my pregnancy. And he was like, you're what, like 36, 37 weeks. I was like, no, I'm like 32 weeks. And he was like, well, I, I, I lose track of the day. I was like, do you also know what, not know what month or year it is? <laughs> okay. Anyway, so episode 177, but yeah, catch us up. I mean, just a few things have happened in just your life. Just a couple, That's just fun. a couple things. I had a baby and that was really big. Um, <laughs> she, I love that. She, she, maybe I should drink this tea ASAP. She was, um, she was. It's been an incredible year. She just turned a year old in January of 2019. Now I know it's the 2019 year. Um, And she's just, I mean, we're pretty spoiled rotten with this baby. She's wonderful. Pregnancy, I mean, it's like having a baby, there's a whole year leading up to it, you know, and we worked, when you work for yourself, you can't exactly, and, and I have a team, folks that work for Fed and Fit now, which is so cool, and I just pinch myself that we're at this stage, but it's not like I can just say, hey guys, we're all going to take a leave of absence, <laughs> so if you could come back in, in three months after our joint maternity leave, that'd be great, and so we had to work you know, and batch content and get ahead. And so that was a wild and crazy year and was almost a project in and of itself. And we did it, built myself a three month maternity leave and a month enough work for the team to truck along without me, um, without me at least as involved as I was. And then Grayson, she, my daughter was, she went 12, 13 days overdue and, or past her due date, I should say. She came right on time. But just past her due date, and she, on uh, um, I think I caught up with my to do list right on a, a, about day eleven, and I called my publisher and I was like, I'm bored, let's do a book, and so he, and she was we, like, Are you nuts? Are you like in like labor psychosis? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, You're about to get 
really busy. Are you sure? I was like, yeah, it's going to be so easy. We're going to do a meal prep book. It's going and the concept is it's meal prep is made easy. So it'll be easy to write. That was the logic. I didn't think it through. (laughs) That that makes so much sense, Cassie, you know, the book about how things are easy. Right. So clearly the book's going to be easy. Cassie, I I swear probably 99% of your life is you know, driven forward by your eternal optimism where you're just like, it's going to be fine. And everyone's like, uh, okay, how do we tell her? That sums up every team meeting I've ever had ever. (laughs) (laughs) We joke that, uh, Amber Golden, who works with me, she is just integral part of the team. And I will come in with my bright, shiny, I caught a butterfly in my net idea. And I'm like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to make casseroles and we're going to deliver them in, on everyone's front porch. And we're going to deliver them with balloons in case there's a new baby for the old, for the original baby. <laughs> like we can take it slower. So anyways, yes, that's pretty much it. We will get there. Casseroles will happen one day. Uh, but this book, yeah. So we, we wrote it. We took about a year to put it together and turns out it hadn't been done before because planning and writing a book like that was not easy. Uh, but the, the end product and what we're hoping to walk readers through will will really help take the workload off of their plates. But did those two big things, those are big, a book and a baby. Yeah, those are huge, huge things. When when you took time off, now someone who owns their own business and runs their own company, do you truly take the time off for maternity leave? Like, how do you truly unplug with that? I feel like that would be so hard because so many women are doing that these days. Yeah, I'll be really honest with you. I I did. I had the intention of truly unplugging. And I thought I wanted to give myself the time if, if I needed it. Who knew? Because we didn't know what kind of baby Gray would be and how much, you know, the, the time required. And who knows? Who knows what's coming, right? And when, so I, I thought three months would be a good cushion and then enough time to decide what I need going forward. Cause you never, I, I also wanted to give myself the grace to know, I don't know how motherhood's going to change me or change my goals. And cause it might, it, it could have, it didn't, but it could have. And anyway, so right at around, I think two weeks of snuggling on the couch and recovering from birth, which nobody told me about was the thing. But after about two weeks, I started to get a little bit bored, but she was still in that really sweet, snuggly newborn stage and she just slept on me all day long. And then after about six weeks, I started to have what I have like a midlife crisis because I was like, I've watched so many Grey's Anatomy. What am I doing with my life? I have got to be a productive human being. I mean, <laughs> obviously being a mother is incredibly productive, but I got twitchy and I started responding to emails about then. That, I think that's so funny. Like, first of all, I totally agree with you that nobody tells you about those first two weeks of postpartum where you're like, I never imagined like crying on the toilet as a fully grown sober adult. Mm-hmm. But here I am. Like, I never imagined I'd have to have my husband help me with these things. <laughs> I also think that people almost overplay and, and not all babies are are easy and not all babies are like this, but turns out taking care of a newborn is like pretty straightforward. Like they have a lot of needs, but they're really basic needs. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, I could totally see after six weeks, you're like, okay, I'm ready. Getting a little bit more sleep now. I can like remember what day it is for the most part usually. And I'm ready to get back to it. Totally. That's exactly it. I, I haven't turned on Grey's Anatomy since then. <laughs> it just reminds me of a time where I think I was just sitting there 
holding her during her naps. And I was like, I can be doing something else while she naps. But um, it was a really sweet period. And yeah, it is. It's like, to your point, it was very, it's, it was more simple than I thought it would be. I think I went into it. I was very trepidatious. And I was, a, I, because I think a lot of the folks that I talked to had two-year-olds and you do, you know, a two-year-old doesn't crawl out of your womb. It's a newborn. And she's so, it's like the, the analogy of a frog and hot water. You just slowly the boil, the water starts to boil and you just don't realize how hot it's getting. And I just, you know, she was, she was so easy when she was little and she's still easy for all practical purposes, but now I've got a year of parenting under my belt. So I have the confidence to tackle all these new things. Completely. I think that's so important. Again, yeah, people don't really tell you and you see somebody with like a screaming toddler and a McDonald's or maybe, maybe none of us go to McDonald's or you guys don't go to McDonald's, but you know, you see a screaming three-year-old at Target and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never having kids. And then it is, it's like the frog in boiling water. By the time you actually get to that point, you're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, but if, if they this. just showed up at your doorstep like that, you'd be like, absolutely not. <laughs> totally. Oh, um, talk talk to us a little bit more about you. You said that the process of writing this book turned out to be anything but simple. So the book was not like raising a, a brand newborn. <laughs> no, it was the opposite. It was it was it was raising a seventeen year old daughter. <laughs> very tumultuous. <laughs> There were tears, <laughs> arguments, just kidding. Um, no, it was something else. So we wrote this concept, Cook Once, Eat All Week, started very innocently. It was actually a part of my maternity leave, actually. Um, we knew that in January of 2018, we wanted to, because Gray was due middle of January, we knew that we wanted to have some kind of meal prep content, because that's the question we get the most from our readers, is we want to figure out how to meal prep more easily, save time, save money, all of these things. We want casseroles. And so we put our heads together and came up with this concept, cook once eat all week, where you take a protein and a veggie and a, a starch or another vegetable, ideally things that are all available within the same season of each other. And then we would cook them in bulk on your quote prep day and then assemble all those cooked components into three different dishes for fresh dinners on your table. But prep day in each of your cook days require maybe 30 minutes maximum of time in the kitchen. <clears throat> and that could be even, even include oven time. So hands off time. And so we put this series together um, in January when Gray was born four weeks worth for those four weeks in January. And it blew our socks off by how popular it was. And folks were asking for more. It really helped them. It helped solve the problems that we were aiming to solve, you know, save time, money, um, and sanity really when it comes to meal prepping. And so that's, that's what we poured into the book. And it was, it started off as like, I thought a straightforward concept because we came up, we rattled off those four weeks really easily. We thought, Ooh, we'll do a plantain week and we'll do a carnitas week. And we were so inspired in a chicken breast week and a ground beef week. And turns out four weeks is really straightforward. And then 26 weeks, which is what we wound up doing for the book, a half of the year, six months worth of meal prep is what we wound up putting into the book we just really stretched us in terms of trying to make sure that every single recipe, we wanted to put ourselves in your shoes. When you're putting it on the table, we wanted to make all these recipes family friendly. So when you're putting this on the table with your elementary school kids or your husband or whomever, maybe they do eat like you, maybe they don't eat like you. We want them to be excited about dinner and we want you to also 
not be totally worn out because you just had to spend three more hours in the kitchen making dinner. And so it was a real riddle. It was a real riddle putting all those pieces together, but we finally solved it. It took some back and forth, but we, we nailed it. I'm confident. There's six months worth of recipes in there? There are six, yes, six months worth of recipes. I keep saying 26 weeks, and I was like, six months makes so much more sense. (laughs) Nobody knows how many weeks that is. (laughs) No. (laughs) Carry the one. (laughs) Grayson is 53 weeks old these these days. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love the parents who are like, yeah, she's, you know, 42 months. Like, just say four years old. Just round up. Four and a half, three and a half. Just round up. So I love that too, because I definitely have had, I've bought cookbooks in the past that are like weeknight meals. And I'm like, okay, this is only a weeknight meal. If I already have all of these like, you know, handmade sauces pre-made and I own a pressure cooker and a ricer and a, you know, like if I worked in a commercial kitchen, maybe this would be a weeknight meal. But like now I just had to learn how to reduce compote and you know, it's like been two hours and I have used every pan that I own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I really like that, you know, the focus on like, no, really, we're trying to make this so that you can actually still feel sane by the end of the process. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so many folks, I, I totally get the idea and the desire for a meal prep day. A lot of folks like to meal prep on a Sunday and then maybe get on a Wednesday, depending on your workflow and your schedule. But there's a lot of people who get tired of eating leftovers, you know, popping that container back in the microwave or in the oven or on the stove or however you like to reheat things. It's very controversial sometimes. (laughs) But, you know, some folks get tired of eating leftovers. The family doesn't want to eat leftovers. And this is a way that we can leverage kind of already cooked components into a fresh meal. And so when you are assembling things, let's say on a Wednesday night, you're just taking that shredded chicken and you're putting it over the potatoes you already roasted and you're putting the broccoli in there and you're drizzling the barbecue sauce and you're sticking it in the oven and you have a casserole that everyone's going to love. And you dirtied one pan, you know, for that dinner. I love it. I have always wondered when you're making a cookbook and you're just like cooking all day, what did you and your family eat during that process? Because like you have to get to the end of the day and just be like, I am not cooking, <laughs> cooking one more piece of broccoli. <laughs> to be honest, I, I went on a pasta bender. <laughs> it's like, because it's a, it's a relatively healthy cookbook and it's a gluten-free, not necessarily paleo. There are a lot of paleo weeks on there. The majority of them are, but we have some polenta in there and some rice weeks. But, but after a long day of spaghetti squash, cause we would try to lump ingredients together. I was like, I just want some gluten-free linguine right now with some cheese and some grilled garlic chicken thighs. And so we would do some of those like really quick, quickie meals that we can get on the table that's a little bit different than what we've been cooking all day long. And so we eat a lot of, we ate a lot of leftovers. I sent a lot of food home with the team and I froze a lot of it also because freezer meals are such a lifesaver when you're, you know, busy working. But yeah, we did. I I leaned on pasta of all things. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I just feel like and we, we've, I remember we've had that conversation like with Julie Bauer where she's like, yeah, when I'm like really in the zone, I, the last thing I want to do is like get to the end of the day and keep eating or vice versa. Or the other side, she's like, I get to the end of the day and I've just been eating all day. Mm-hmm. I've also always been curious, like, so you said, you know, you start with a protein, like you get, you know, you have your veggies, like you build it up. Where did these ideas come from? Do you just kind of throw things at the wall until you find something yummy? We do. I mean, after enough recipe formulating, you start to learn you know, you develop rails in your brain of what will work together and what won't. 
Um, and then if you come up with some good bases, you understand, um, let me think of an example, like spaghetti squash has to be cooked a certain way. So it's not too watery in a casserole, you know, some of those things. And so you're able to kind of streamline your recipe development process. Um, but a lot of it was, some of it was trial and error. We definitely had some weeks that we'd make it and would have to go back to the drawing board. Um, but most of it, we were able to draft them out and they just made a lot of sense. It just worked. Um, we have, for example, I think in the original cook one series on the blog, we have a plantain pizza crust recipe and it's really simple. It's just plantains and coconut oil, or you could use butter or olive oil, whatever you want. And you blend it and then you spread it out onto some parchment paper and bake it. And it turns into a really lovely crust. And so, you know, those kinds of things we just had in our repertoire that we were able to utilize and in different flavors and profiles for this kind of a book. So some of those things were easy to come to. Um, We also had other favorite recipes, curried soups, for example, that we've really loved and used in other capacities that we were able to incorporate into this book. So you're getting some of our best flavors, you know, best concepts, best casseroles, soups are really like home run recipes, um, skillets, sheet pan dinners, those things that people constantly love and come back to. And we just would make sure that they worked with the ingredients that we had for that week. Can I just say as someone who isn't like super, super savvy in the kitchen, I just love hearing people talk about how they create recipes because I'm like, that's amazing how your brain works. And and I know it takes practice and I know it's just not something that like pops in your head, but I definitely think there's a talent for people who can do that. And it's just like, I just think that's the coolest thing. But like kind of on the funny side, are there times where you come up with an idea and then you're like, well, that didn't work at all. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> I'd love Let to kind of hear behind the scenes too of like, I know that things like maybe don't taste as well, but like, how do you know it's going to be a universal hit with people? Like what may take, do you just kind of have to do this like middle of the ground recipe and then people can can season it to however they like type of scenario? (laughs) Kind of. It's a good question, you know, because we have some stuff in there that kind of pushes the envelope. And so we kept that in mind. Like we have this one week that has polenta and shredded beef. I think we used a brisket and we shredded it into just a really nice fine shredded beef. And then we also included a little dairy in that week, like cotija cheese. And that's one of my favorite weeks, but we were like, you know what, if these people are okay with polenta, they're probably also okay with a little dairy. And so we just tried to lump our adventurous eaters together into weeks. Um, and that was one of them, but talk about some fails. One of my favorite fails (laughs) from the book. And this was another one of those. I sat down when we were planning for the book with shiny bright eyes and I was so excited and I was like, y'all, we're going to do an eggplant week. It's going to be an eggplant week. We're going to buy a bunch of eggplants and we're going to turn those. That's going to be one of our vegetables. And I had to talk them into it because they're like, people don't like vegetable or eggplant that much. It's kind of a polarizing little veggie. And so they let me run, run its course, run the, let the idea just out. And I wound up making the whole thing and it really flopped. But the one recipe that was the worst was I took eggplant and I sliced it as thinly as I could. And I wanted to do eggplant rollatini where you stuff it with protein and you roll it into just, you know, like a little tube. And we were going to bake those together with some marinara sauce on top. And the eggplant just 
there, there would, could be a way to do it better, but it would have been way too of an involved process. You would have had to sweat the eggplant layers in some salt and you would have had to bake it a little bit longer. Anyway, it was not good. And it was not pretty when we, I took the picture of it just to see it through and everyone was just standing over my shoulder, shaking their head. No, <laughs> so I had to pitch it. Uh, at least you have a team that will be honest with you. Yeah. They're not like, yeah, Cassie eggplant week. When you said that too. <laughs> It made me think of like some like perverse version of the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> yeah. Where they're like, eggplant week. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I'm just assuming you much watch that show because everybody does. Yes, it's the best. <laughs> but I, I can totally just like kind of see everyone sitting in your kitchen giving, like looking at each other while you were like, you know, in this crazy whirlwind of eggplant <laughs> excitement. Yep, exactly. That's pretty much sums it up. They're just glancing at each other, shaking their heads. So I have a question about your audience because, you know, we've all kind of been doing content creation in some way, shape or form for the past, I don't know, five to eight years between all of us. And so how do you take feedback from your audience and create content that's still true to what you want, but also trying to evolve? Ooh, that is a good question. It's kind of the million dollar question, isn't it? I, uh, my, I, I think that probably everybody, if you've asked that to other folks would give you a different answer. I like to crowdsource. I find a lot of information or a lot of inspiration when I ask readers for what they're curious about. Because I get to the point where I have satisfied a lot of my own musings. You know, I'm kind of past the personal blog stage and I, I've i made all the casseroles that I had a craving for and, and the varieties of other dishes. And I just, I don't, I don't know what I don't know, you know that's out there. And I really rely on my readership to help me fill in those blanks. And so I will ask, I'll say, what are y'all struggling with the most? And of course, meal prep was one of the questions that came up. Another one that's come up a lot is how do I actually have a, how do I have a healthy home? I know it's important to do healthy home stuff, but it feels so just insurmountable to get on top of it all. And so we let those kind of biggest puzzling questions from our readers inform our content calendar when we're planning ahead, because we try to just when we're looking at our content calendar, we have buckets. You know, we want to touch on skincare. We want to touch on food, nutrition, home things, fitness, you name it. And it's like, what are the biggest things? What are the biggest questions that our readers have that fit into those buckets? And we let that inform the inspiration for that content. And then once we have an idea, for example, if someone is struggling with, I just don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time. I it, like there's too many crazy things going on. I'm trying to do this side hustle thing while being a mom and, and keeping my house in order and I don't have time. And so that inspired a Tabata series that we're coming out with. You know, like here's here are we're working on 30 total Tabata. We'll eventually work up to that, but Tabata workouts that folks can do at various levels. Some are good for pregnant, some are good for postpartum and so on and so forth. But it's like, it's our content that we get to design that we feel really strongly about and get to design it in the way that I would want to, but it's informed by their biggest questions and puzzles, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I, I think that's really important too, because you know Claire and I can relate to that in terms of listening to what our audience says, and we have such an intimate audience. And by that, I mean, we just feel like we know them so well. And it really helps us kind of steer towards what we need to do. And doesn't it, it feels better that way, right? Like, doesn't it feel like you're just it's kind oh, of yeah. this nice relationship that you're working with? Totally. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, it's, it's there that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if, if I didn't have people that read what we were doing, consuming it and asked questions. And right. it just feels like 
a very vital part of the transaction. So with the most important part for you, obviously, is food, but it's also fitness, wellness, having mm-hmm. a healthy home. Your podcast is great. You cover a lot of these topics, too. And I think something that's always coming up and I try to fight talking about it, but we just, again, I take the feedback from our listeners that we can't stop talking about it is diets. And I know you did a recent episode about this where it's like, mm-hmm. you're like diets were destroying my relationship with food. And I think someone on the outside who sees your persona is like, she's so happy. She's so bubbly. She can't have a care in the world. We know that we all struggle with things. So can you expand on what you talked about in that episode? Yes, I would love to. So I came off of, it is funny, you, you know, you forget, I forget, I should say me, I forget to talk about a lot of the times where I came from because it has been a while now, but I was addicted to diets and I had no idea. I don't know. I didn't know which way was north when it came to how to actually nourish my body. Let me stop you really quick because I'm thinking about this. I want to, before I forget, mm-hmm. is it's so interesting to me how we all have that story of like, I had no idea how to nourish my body. I had no idea about the dieting world, I kind of, you get snippets from it because that was before social media. Um, Mm -hmm. And so now when we're more exposed to it, it's kind of like you have this, like the doors are busted off of this myth and Mm. I love it, but I also hate it because there's times when people can kind of fall victim to the bad sides of diets. So anyway, I just had to say that. Yeah, (laughs) totally. No, it's, that's very, very fair because it it adds, it's definitely um, our lives are under a microscope but it's what we choose to share, you know, those 10 seconds out of the whole day become what I, what we are identifying as or what other folks think is representative of our entire lives. And that's just not the truth. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know how to nourish my body. And I got really addicted to diets because I thought that in order to be quote healthy, I just had to look a certain way. And so, you know, that's a whole nother rabbit hole, but my mo- my motives were all off. I didn't know what it meant to be well And I threw myself into diets. And what happened was every restrictive program that I put myself into that would give me a list, every single one of them to do this, good, good foods and bad foods, right? The, the good foods and the evil foods. And these are the kinds of things you can eat. And these are the things you shouldn't eat. And this is when you should eat them. And this is when you should not eat them. And, and it was, what it did was it, it it whatever attempt I had at being close to intuitive eating or in tuned with what my body actually needed and wanted, I just pushed that further and further away because I was following the rules and the guidelines of this arbitrary piece of paper that I downloaded off the internet that somebody who doesn't know me wrote because that person just wanted to make money off of people like me, you know, people who would buy the dream and the hope that I too could lose for pant sizes when I was already, you know, had that no business, you know, to even go that direction. And so it was just, it was just kind of an ugly phase. And, and it all, every single one of them, every single one of them had an eat and a don't eat list. And I think what it did is it hardwired my brain to look at that don't eat list and to think these foods are evil and bad and I cannot eat them. And then every time I would have pasta, for example, it would be a, oh, I just cheated on myself. I just cheated on my diet. Even though the diet was over, it would feel bad. 
Um, and it took me years to heal from that. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I think we're still doing it. I don't think we're out of the woods. I don't think we're even mm-hmm. close to out of the woods, but I, Claire and I are kind of committed to keep talking about it to hope, hopefully reach people to be like, we can do this. We can get out of the woods here. And I think that we saw this kind of uptick of seeing diet and exercise kind of blow up on, on Instagram. And then it was like, what was it? Inspiration or Fitzbo or whatever the heck the mm-hmm. hashtags were. And then I think we're kind of like coming around. So I think that's the thing that now we're all kind of like, all right, let's just live our lives and live our best lives and eat real food and just be healthy. And whatever that looks like to you, that's great. Totally. And it's interesting. And even in the mommy blogging world on Instagram, you know, it's like there's this kind of uptick to your point, even in that world of showing the real, real. And, you know, you have these beautiful polished photos. And of course, that's still going to be the grand majority, because for a lot of these people, this is an editorial and it's a business and it's not supposed to be a representation of their real lives. They're probably not thinking that that's what they're putting out there. But folks consuming it are thinking this must be how they live. She must always have eyelashes on and her hair is always blown out. (laughs) Her children are always dressed without stains on their shirts. So yeah, I I I don't... (laughs) I don't even want to like go here, but there's a part of me. It's like, and there's a space now that I'm hearing. It's like, we can't win. There's a space of curated Mm -hmm. imperfection that people are kind of coining this term of curated imperfection where we're kind of now going, look how imperfect I am. And it's, that also feels inauthentic if you're doing it from a space of like, uh, I don't know if you're just being inauthentic and not being real and you're trying to to kind of like gain that attention by saying, look how real I am. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's exactly where I was going. Yep. That's interesting. Well, and I think too, like for the three of us and for a lot of people probably listening who this, you, you do have that story, but it took place maybe in college or, you know, five, 10, 15, maybe not 15, but years ago Mm -hmm. that started with, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I started looking around and I, you know, I finally came to this realization that like, there is no, kind of one size fits all, a lot of people are still in that discovery phase. Yes. And I think it's, it's definitely easy for me to take for granted that, oh, everyone is where I am with these realizations. And like, you know, to forget that we do still need to talk about that phase of learning and that phase of realizing like, wow, this cookie cutter diet that I downloaded off the internet isn't going to fix my hormones, isn't going to like you know, actually like, and in fact, actually there is no such thing as a perfect body. And like, I can, you know, eat or not eat or work out or not work out as much or as little as I want. And I'm still going to like have the same personal issues with myself. Like, Mm -hmm. that's. but I think that I definitely find myself thinking like, oh my gosh, are we still having this conversation occasionally? But forgetting that so many people are still in that phase. And then you, you know, then you turn around and have this again, like quote unquote curated imperfection, which is completely an oxymoron. And it's like, this actually is doing the exact same harm just in a different way as, you know, if somebody was upfront about like, Hey, I own, like, I almost would rather somebody be like, listen, I only post my highlights. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah. at least you, then you would know, you'd be like, okay, cool. Like this, I may not see what this person looks like when they wake up in the morning, but I know it's not this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's this it's this side by side too where I see the pictures where it's like uh, I mean no offense if anyone has done this but it's just an example of like Instagram real life where now we're kind of having to be like 
making sure people know that my life isn't always perfect. And I'm like, look, beautiful things can be just what they are. Beautiful things. Like I appreciate Mm -hmm. beautiful photos. I love when your food photos look beautiful. It's aesthetically pleasing. We like that stuff. I love the beautiful photos of your family. You guys are adorable. And so it's not like I'm sitting there going, I think we all know by now, hopefully, but I think to Claire's point too, is like some people are still kind of like coming around to this is like, I'm not now looking at this and comparing myself constantly. I think we know better. So (laughs) it's just so funny to watch the evolution of all of this stuff socially. It is. It's so interesting. And it's, and the book is still being written. We're at the very beginning of it. And I think that, oh gosh, we're really riding the wave here, girls. When it comes to We're blazing some trails, about, yeah, we we really are, yeah, and it makes me wonder what the next generation is going to say is going to reflect on with just the trends of consumerism and just how we how we evolve through this process. Okay, I have probably sort of a personal parenting question, but okay, you know, okay, so I have a little boy and I haven't really had found myself worrying or thinking about what the future for him in terms of like body image and that, you know, the diet culture really holds. And now I'm about to have a little girl and I'm starting to realize like that is really the thing that I am going to worry about and think about and like you know, in a way that I haven't really thought of, you know, like with Miles, of course, I'm worried about like, what the heck does being a teenager in the social media era look like and et cetera. But I haven't really stopped to think, how am I going to make sure that he has a positive body image? Um, and not to say that men, you know, can't have body image issues, but obviously, as we know, it's a little bit different for women. So have you started thinking about that with Gray? And like, how have you, you know, what are your thoughts around that in terms of like, wanting to raise her to feel good about herself in this world where you know that the default is to like kind of feel crappy about your body. I know it's a, it's a tough one. And I think it just has to come down to, and I, and I'm not saying anything that you don't already know, but it's like, you just, I mean, my, my mission is just to lead by example. It's something my husband and I have talked about pretty extensively because I mean, even when I was growing up, misinformed parents made comments that would, that shaped me as a child. And they just, they, they didn't know, they really didn't know the damage that they were doing by making some comments when I was younger, really loving, wonderful, caring people making comments about my body compared to like my sisters and things like that. And, and I can see in hindsight, what that, how that transformed, right. And how that evolved in my own life and my own negative body image and battles and then diet addiction as time went on. And I think that it's just knowing what we know now, we are set our we are set up so well. I really believe that because what we get to do is we get to not we we know which traps not to step on in growing up. We know not to stress what it is that you look like. And it's kind of I wrote a post about this recently. I think it was just on social media, but it says concept of just kind of um like body neutrality. It's like not positive. It's not negative. It just is what it is. And it doesn't have to be a thing if you don't want it to be a thing. Cause if you have a good day, that's great. If you have a bad day, that's fine too. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. It doesn't change who you are or your trajectory, what your body is. It's a vehicle and it's good to love it and treat it really well. And that's what matters at the end of the day. And my plan is just to lead by example, you know, love myself well, love my husband well, love our family well, love other people and strangers. And I think just just take the emphasis off the body as much as possible in action. And then if of course things are going to happen and she's going to come home and probably have experiences of her own, I hope that when that time comes, she talks to us about it. And, and if not, hopefully we have a community that's really supportive and, you know, we're, we're all in um, working and we're 
synchronous. What's the word I'm looking for? Syn- synchro- I really want to make, yeah, thank you. I was like, I'm going to make up a word. <laughs> Anyways, I hope we're all synchronized in our messaging for our children at that point in time, because that's definitely objective is to find a community in a village that really helps um, empower everybody equally. But I just, I think it's just in how we live by example. And when they have tough questions, we figure it out with them. And I think that we're going to be equipped to answer those questions when they come up. I really do believe that. I love that. And I also think that that is so important, even now, like in our peer groups, that's something that Joy and I have been talking about lately, where it's like, I love seeing photos of women on social media, or even just like out and about in the world who are, you know, wearing a swimsuit with their stretch marks or whose hair isn't perfect or, you know, whatever. And they're not posting, like, let's just use social media as an example. It's not a post about like how they love their stretch marks. Mm-hmm. It's just a post where the stretch marks aren't even mentioned. Yeah. It's a non-issue. Exactly. And it's like, you know what? It, it makes me feel so good. And I've talked about this in the podcast even recently where it's like, it makes me feel like I have permission to not care about it. Yes. I'm like, cool. I guess we're like, this is so nice that we're done caring about stretch marks now. Thank you for just leading by example of not even, it's just not even an issue. You're not acknowledging it in the, for the positive or the negative. You're just living your life with your stretch marks the way everyone with stretch marks should. Oh, I love it. Yes. Yes. Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Well, and like, I, I mean the, in the past couple of weeks, I've like developed, of course, all these stretch marks that I never had with, I never got stretch marks with miles. And so I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, like, you know, at first was really freaked out by it. And then was like, wait a minute, I get to decide whether or not this is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like I get to decide whether or not to worry about this. And, but I think it's just so powerful to see your friends and, you know, the people that you admire on social media and in the, you know, wherever, just kind of living their lives with these quote unquote, very huge giant quotes, because I hate this word imperfections mm-hmm. and just being able to be like, oh, okay, I guess this isn't a big deal. Totally. It's whatever. It's like, I don't have to, it's kind of like a uh, postpartum hair loss was the, one of the more recent kind of things that I went through phases that I went through. And it was like, I don't, I got some folks asking questions about it, but I didn't feel the need to disclaim, Hey, I, it's kind of like that. What did you call it? Curated imperfection. It's like, I'm not going to take a picture of my forehead and my uh, hair loss to be like me too. You know, like exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, you uh, know, you don't, yeah. <laughs> It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it like, de- what purpose does that hold for exactly. this brand that we're building? Right. And so other than, other than kind of a cheap shot at, at getting some likes and some engagement. That yes, is such I, a good point. I think that that is also like the root of what bothers me about that kind of stuff is it's like, I'm not going to not like your post about how much you love yourself, despite your imperfections. I'm not going to be like, <laughs> totally. you know, like, I don't know, that feels kind of hypocritical. But at the same time, I'm going to kind of be like, okay, like, good for you. But why is this even a conversation? Anyway, and then on the flip side, I also feel like I see posts where people do call that out. And it makes me second guess my own like securities of like, oh, well, if all of these people are worried about it, am I supposed to be worrying about this? Just be existing on this planet. <laughs> it's, <a mess. laughs> it's really hard. Just going to go put on a muumuu and walk around with a bag over my head for a while. <laughs> so I want to wrap up with some questions too, just about your family and relationships. If you're okay, ask, you know, talking about how you keep your family life appropriately private. Is your husband 
Yeah. Um, comfortable with all that or like what are the discussions oh, yeah. you guys have around your brand and how you kind of draw that line with what you share or what you don't share? You know, it's funny you bring that up. I was just telling um, a couple of folks the other day that I will have some of my friends that are here in San Antonio with me that will say, gosh, you haven't posted anything about Austin in a long time. Are you guys okay? I'm like, yeah. Oh, that's totally so okay. funny. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I asked Austin when we were dating because when we were dating, I'd started the I started the blog in 11, 2011, which is a year after that we started dating. And I asked him if he was how comfortable he was with if I shared about him, what were his, were his thoughts on that? And he is all in. He doesn't care, right? He really doesn't care. He's not on Instagram, he's not on Facebook. He's just not one of those guys and he's like, "If you talk about me, I probably never know." So it doesn't matter and he trusts me to share, you know, that I'm going to have good judgment in what I share. Now, that being said, keeping some things private, it was more my call because I, my goal with Fed and Fit is, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, is to evolve it from the personal brand into an online resource, right? More of a, I get to be more of the editor in chief than the subject at all times. And which is just how I, I have this goal to like build this company that great, you know, great jobs for great writers and people who are um, really like-minded in that regard. And so as a part of that, I've tried to make sure that I'm not being too salacious with the details and the life things that I'm sharing. Now I'm an open book and if anybody asks, I'm happy to share, but it just hasn't been a part of our content. Um, and then, and then there's another side of that coin, which is probably even more true is I'm just a chicken because there's some things that you have to live out before you talk about them, or at least me. I have to I have to live through this. It's kind of like a newborn. I wanted to live through the newborn stage before I could talk about it because if I shared what was what I was going through in the moment, the amount of unsolicited feedback was overwhelming, even when I wasn't sharing things that we were struggling with. Um, and it kind of raw it for me and my personality for better or worse, it, I am pulled out of the present and into this world of what I could be doing better. What should I could be doing? Right. And so I've had to also pull some family stuff out of the day to day content because it was just, it was too much. It took me out of my real life and it just wasn't worth it at the end of the day. It wasn't worth it. Me carrying the baggage of people that don't actually know me, but think that they know me right. from the internet into real life like that gets into your psyche and you really can't it's like once you see it you can't unsee it and it's that whole don't read the comments thing but you're like but I have to look but that's so smart and I would say that that's probably something that everyone should do especially when you're sharing something that's very personal about your life is to always share it when you're in a place where you feel confident about it not when you're deep in it um, and you're through it and you have that 2020 vision where you can kind of speak a little more objectively about it and kind of go, oh, yeah, that's what this was for me as opposed to really, really deep in it. And sometimes you look back and you cringe or people can feel that too. your audience can feel that if you're mm-hmm. just not through it yet and you're a little uncomfortable then they're going to feel uncomfortable. And so yeah, exactly. I think, I think a lot of people can relate to that who share their lives on on social media. Well, and yeah. I think also like that's not you, you know, you said you're you like you're being a chicken but I think it's so smart to know that about yourself and to know like it is not worth your peace and your mental really your mental health to share that like one extra percent of your life even like I rarely if ever 
share things about Miles and really even about Brandon on, I mean, we talk about like marriage hacks in the podcast, but it's always kind of like tongue in cheek, but I almost never share stuff about parenting. And even still I'll get, you know, questions and comments and emails and, and like most of them, the vast majority of them are really sweet and well-meaning, but you get that one, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's like, and it now all of a sudden you're second guessing everything you're doing and you're like, this person doesn't know me. I certainly don't know them, but here I am now questioning my better judgment. Why? Why? Just why? Yeah, but it's exactly. so hard not to go there. It is. It is hard not to go there. And I just, I needed, I was kind of like, I wanted Grayson to get through a year of life so that I could start sharing about her and be like, look, she made it. Like, I'm very, like I did it. I didn't, I didn't mess it up that badly. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a good mom. See? Yeah, exactly. When we, man, when we gave her her, this is the best example I can think of. And this was when I really made business rules about how I engaged and what I shared with Gray. Now we made rules going forward. Like I I didn't want to share any of her personal information, right? Her health or things like that. Um, But when we were, I shared her first foods on an Instagram story and I, at that point had, I had turned off DMS because of the amount of feedback that I got when I went into labor and all the questions, which turned into not so nice comments. I turned off DMS, but people still can, you know, work around that little mini firewall and they can send you your own story with a message. And when I fed sent, fed her, her first foods, I did this Instagram story cause I wanted to share it. It was really fun and cute. And there was one person to your point, it was like, it was maybe three people out of all the comments that had something really negative to say about my choices. And I'm going to be like, are you new here? Like, of course I did my research. Like, of course that is like, that is my middle name. Did my research. And <laughs> yeah, and you're, you just want to be like, do you really think that I would like, like do anything to harm my child or yeah. do something dangerous? Are you kidding me? Going off the rails. Uh, oh my gosh. Humans. Totally. Well, in this one conversation ended in, and I think that she meant, well, I have to remind myself, she probably meant well, she probably thinks she's saving Gray's life because the conversation ended. And I thought I was being as civil as possible with, I really hope you took infant CPR because your daughter is going to choke. And I was like, oh, Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. And so for the rest of the night, like, of course I cried. And then I wasn't like, I wasn't there for the rest of the night, you know, mentally. And so it's just, I had, that's when I had to kind of reassess what I was sharing. That is, I, I feel like I remember that you posted something on like maybe your personal Facebook after that, where you were like, oh my gosh, this insane thing just happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just makes you, well, and I think it's also hard and I don't want to like get down this rabbit hole too much because I know we're running out of time. But it's hard to be in a place where people feel like they know you, but they don't. Yeah. And it's like you you want them to feel like they know you. And in a way, they do. And in a way, you do know them. Mm-hmm. But you don't have a relationship with that person that would make it okay for them to say those sorts of things or, you know, have an opinion that it's not appropriate for them to have an opinion about these very personal choices. Right. Yeah. What, what, at what point do we say, well, we're <laughs> opening our lives on social media. So therefore we should be accepting all the comments that we get. I don't know, but I people know. can be a lot more tactful for sure. <laughs> and it's hard because we do think of the negative ones. Like there's the Claire can confirm this. Like anytime we get one negative, it's always just throws me off and throws me into a spiral where I have to just be like, all right, I got to let this go. But it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Out of out of like the thousands upon thousands of lovely, com- lovely, com- yes, the lovely comments yes. that people leave. It's just the one where I'm like, "What are you thinking?" Anyway, <laughs> so I would be totally remiss if I did not bring up my favorite part of your Instagram, which is Gus. 
No. <laughs> here it is again. I've, every time we talk to someone who has a dog, I'm sitting here like, when's Joy going to bring up the dog? <laughs> <laughs> I love him so much. How's Gus doing? He's good. He's a good boy. He's <laughs> laying in the hallway waiting for his daddy. You want to know what we're going to do? What? You guys, this is breaking news. Okay. Um, I haven't told anybody officially, but I'm really bad at secrets, especially my own secrets. Um, so where Gus is going to get his own Instagram page and then sometime in the next year, I'm going to start working on some children's books. Oh my God. Please tell me Gus is the main character. You know it. <laughs> that's, oh my that's gosh. the best news I've heard all day. That is just, I will buy every single Gus book out there and I don't have kids. <laughs> If that tells you anything, that's how much I love your dog. Oh, that's so sweet. He's so sweet. He's, I'm doing all kinds of quote in air quotes, market research, which just means that now I'm using this as an excuse to fill Grayson's library. Yes. <laughs> with books oh. uh, to see what's out there, but I'm so excited. Aww. You're going to have to do like an audio book with your, with your Gus voice. You are, Yes, you are going to have to for sure. I was thinking about that. I wonder if I could read his stories in a podcast. If I like that way, we could just, we could just put it up, you know, yeah. you could just go live. Totally. Totally could. And then like people could buy the books and read along with your Gus voice. Yeah. And then you could like have a whole other podcast where people just sent you voice memos with their Gus voices. <gasps> Stop it. Oh my gosh. This is the best think tank ever. <laughs> I mean, it really, let's be honest. It would really just be me sending you constant voicemails of my Gus voice because it's like, <laughs> like my Joy, favorite you're thing. You're cut off. You're going to have to cut me off. You're going to like, Joy, stop sending me. I know it's you. I can tell. I love it. I love it so much. We'll close every episode with a memo from you. (laughs) I would be honored. Maybe you can make a, one of your um, episodes can be about service dogs and JT can come explain what he does. Oh, Oh, I love that idea. Can JT come help Gus and then they could be like service dog pals and talk. Oh my God, stop it. I'm going to cry. Oh my Okay. I'm going to make a note of this. Okay. I'm not joking. I'm going to get back in touch, Claire. Okay. <laughs> you know to find us. Yeah. <laughs> I love that idea so much. Okay, cool. So excited about the dog. I feel like we could like make an entire other podcast episode about your dog. <laughs> so I'm cutting us off. Tell everyone when your book is going to be available, where they can find it and where they can find you. Oh my goodness. I would love to. So <laughs> the book is called Cook Once, Eat All Week. 26 weeks of meal prep. The subtitle was going to be how to get dinner on the dang table in a flash. And then they also vetoed me on that. And so it's now a much more um, agreeable subtitle, something about gluten-free insanity. And you can find it on Amazon. Just search that name and you'll pull it up or you can find it at Barnes and Nobles, all of the retailers near you. It'll be out April 23rd of 2019. You can also head to fedandfit.com is our website where you can find, I think we have somewhere around 700 recipes there on the website that are all free. So you can peruse there, get a taste for it, and then wait for the book to come out. That is so exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Where can people find you on social media? Hopefully everyone who's listening already knows this, but just right. in case. Just in case. Oh, that's so nice. Bien, thank you. Um, I am just fed and fit. F-E-D when I'm telling the people at the store and I'm spelling out my email address. I'm like, F is in Frank. E-D. <laughs> 
and fit. And uh, that's it on Instagram and all the other places, same place. And we also have a YouTube channel that we're going to revive by the time the book comes out as well. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us, Cassie. And we can't wait for your book and we can't wait for your dog books. And we love all the things that you do so much. Oh, you're just the best and you have the best spirit. I love you so much. Oh, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for the invitation and for having me on. Thank you. 